If you have your Bibles, open them up with me to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. And let me ask you this question. What area of your life right now are you facing something that is hard and something that is taking you into some uncharted territory? Now, if you're a little kid, maybe it's starting kindergarten. For the first time in your life, you have some responsibility. Maybe if you're a teenager, it's calculus, or it's trying to think about what am I going to do for a career, what college am I going to go to. Perhaps you are a 20-something, and you are uh, venturing out into adulting, and you're beginning to break free from your childhood and start your own course in life, and you're also trying to figure out how do I live life not only independently, but with wisdom. You reach your 30s, and you look around, and suddenly your life has been invaded by these little people, and there's kids everywhere, and they just keep talking and talking and talking, and, and then you reach uh, middle, middle stages of life, and you're thinking, okay, how do I stay relevant even though the world is changing around me? And then you begin to reach senior adult years, and you start thinking, how do I stay engaged and make sure that I don't withdraw and make my world too small? How do I push through health issues? How do I push through some of the societal changes so that I can take the wisdom and that which I have learned and invest it in the generations which are coming after me. All of us face these challenges, and all of us are being pushed at various stages in life into uncharted territory. Our challenges are real, and they're hard. But they're not as hard as what Jesus had to take on. Because none of us have ever had to take on the sin of the world, die a torturous death, and overcome death. Anybody had to do that? No, I don't think so. So, so sometimes we, we think about how difficult our challenges are, and then we look at what Jesus did, and it kind of brings a new perspective to our whining. Jesus' life was not easy. His call was not easy. To change the world, he had to stare challenges in the face And he had to push through. And so as we look at our text today, we see Jesus doing just that. Look at verse 31 of Luke chapter 13. The Bible says, At that time some Pharisees came and told him, Go, get out of here. Herod wants to kill you. So right out of the gate, we see Jesus dealing with three different challenges. Now the first one is the Pharisees. The Pharisees were kind of the spiritual referees, if you will. They liked to go around and blow their whistle and throw yellow flags and call 15-yard spiritual penalties on people. And whenever it came to Jesus, they were always being critical. They were always trying to trick him. They were always laying traps, trying to get him to fall in it. And they were, they were here, they were couching their language as though they were trying to help him. You need to get out of this area Because Herod is trying to kill you, when in reality they were trying to get him to leave the area known as Perea to go down to Judea because that's where the most powerful Pharisees were who were lying in wait, waiting to try to trap Jesus into the events that would eventually lead to the cross. Also in the verse, we run into King Herod Antipas. Now, Herod was kind of a gift that just kept on giving in Jesus' life. You have any people that are just gifts that just keep on giving? You know what I'm saying? 
It's like he just never can get away from them. Uh, King Herod the Great, he, uh, he uh, if you remember in the Christmas story, King Herod the Great. Dusty, you were pretty enthusiastic about having people in your... Oh, you were King Herod. Yes, all the children ran away in fright whenever you played that character. But uh, King Herod the Great, you'll remember him from the Christmas story. He tried to kill Jesus there. And then King Herod Antipas, his son, he killed John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin. And now he's coming after Jesus as well. And then there's a third challenge that Jesus is facing here, and that is death itself. Not only does the king of the region want to kill him, but if you think about it, it was God's will for Jesus to face death. That was a part of his divine mission, and whenever you stare death in the face, it is a daunting challenge. So all these challenges are pressing down on Jesus, and here's how he responds to the crowd. He says, go tell that fox, look, I'm driving out demons and performing healings today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will complete my work. Yet I must travel today, tomorrow, and the next day because it's not possible for a prophet to perish outside of Jerusalem. Now I know that nobody in here ever speaks in sarcasm, right? That never happens in here, right? Anybody here ever use sarcasm? All right, well, you need to be a little careful with sarcasm because it can become a wall that we hide behind, and so it, it becomes a defense where we don't share our feelings, or, and you're like, feelings, I don't have feelings. Okay, you're still being sarcastic, okay? But you've got to be a little bit careful with that. But uh, if you enjoy sarcasm, get out your sarcasm highlighter here because Jesus is using a bit of subtle sarcasm in verse 32. To the Jewish people, the fox was a dirty animal. It was an enemy because the fox would come and kill your sheep. The fox would come and kill small animals. Not only that, the fox was very, very sneaky. It was hard to trap a fox, and the fox would come out at night when nobody was looking. And so often they were used to having battles with foxes. You ever had an ongoing dispute with a varmint? Yeah, when we used to live in Denison, we one time had a two-month-long border dispute with a skunk. That wasn't any fun, and my dog was caught right in the middle of it several times. It was not uh, a fun thing. And so Jesus is talking in language that they understand, and he's basically saying to them, I don't need to worry about King Herod, because what I do, I do in plain light. Everybody can see me. I'm teaching right right here in daylight. I am doing my miracles in broad daylight. The Pharisees are the ones that need to worry about King Herod because they do what they do in darkness. So Jesus is saying, here's how it's going to go down. I'm going to do my work here, and then I'm going to travel to Jerusalem, and I'm going to do my work there. Any questions? Mic drop. He was just telling them how it is. Now, I want you to notice this about our Lord. Jesus refused to let fear keep him from fulfilling his calling. One of the things that I notice about our society is that there is a tremendous and growing amount of fear. The more connected we have become, the more information comes into our minds each and every day. There is this increase, this rapid increase of fear. 
If you have small children like I do, you see it all over the parenting world. We are almost paralyzed with fear. And I have come to believe that fear is potential's greatest enemy. Fear desires to steal your dreams. Fear will keep you from the future that God has called you to. Fear will take away your hope. It will empty you of joy. Fear erases the smile from your face. It causes laughter to no longer be heard. Whenever you get in the grip of fear, it keeps you from living the life that God has called you to live. Now listen to this verse from 1 John chapter 4 and verse 16. I think it will be on the screen as well. The Bible says, And we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. So there's two things there. Number one, we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. You see, when you know and you believe that God has love for you, it changes things. Then the passage says, God is love. Love doesn't define God. God defines love. If you want to understand what love is, you need to understand God. And then the Bible says the one who remains in love remains in God and God remains in him. Then look at verse 18. Look at verse 18 there. There is no fear. There's our word. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear. Because fear involves punishment, so the one who fears has not reached perfection in love. The Scriptures are teaching us here that fear and love are incompatible. There is no fear in love. God's God's perfect love drives out fear. You see, fear can't stay in the same room with God's love. When God's love comes into the front door, fear runs out the back door. Hear me on this, please. Make sure you hear this because this could change some things about your life. The key to you facing the fears that are in your life is to truly know and believe and embrace the love that God has for you. Do you realize this? God loves you. You say, yeah, 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 Lash, God loves me. I've heard this. Jesus loves me. This I know. It's one thing to know about God's love. It's another thing to really receive it, to adorn yourself with it, to realize that you are loved by God. Whenever I receive the truth of God, that God loves me, I begin to realize that He calls me out of that love. Now, stick with me here. If God loves me and He calls me out of that love, then what He calls me to, I can face because I face it secure in the fact that God loves me. And I know that God's love for me is going to take care of me no matter what I face. No matter how uncharted the territory that I'm going into, no matter how certain, uncertain, no matter how difficult it is for me to have faith, I can continue pressing forward because I'm secure in something. I'm secure in the fact that I am dearly loved by the one who made me. And the one who made me is altogether holy and pure and incorruptible, and he has what is best in mind for me. And nothing, 
can separate me from God's love. In fact, Paul, in the book of Romans, chapter 8, one of the great Mount Everest of theology in all the Bible, he begins with the idea that the, the, the challenges we face in life are not accidents, that God has known about them before we were ever born. And as he reaches the end of the chapter, he asks this question. He says, okay, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Now, this is important that you're able to answer this. Who can separate you from the love of Christ? Who is it that can take you and tear you away from Christ's grip? And then he begins listing circumstances. Can affliction or anguish or persecution, famine, nakedness, danger or sword? I don't want any of those. He says, can can any of these separate you from God's love? In verse 37, he says, no. In all these things, we are more than victorious. How? Through him who loved us. And then he keeps on. For I am persuaded that not even death or life, angels or rulers, things present or things to come, hostile powers, height or depth, or any other created thing will have the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So think about this here. Paul says, I'm persuaded of something. Even if what you're facing kills you, death or life, the spiritual world, uh, what happens in the country with rulers, things that are present or things that are to come, people that are hostile against you, the height, the depth, anything created in this world, none of it's going to have the power to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What's he getting at? He's getting at he wants you to have security. God wants you to be secure in his love. And whenever you understand and embrace the love of God, perfect love casts out fear because there's no no need to fear when you're secure in the love of God. God wants your future to be driven by love, not fear. He doesn't want you wearing fear everywhere. He wants you adorned in his love. Well, later on in the passage here, verse 34 of Luke 13, Jesus goes up to the hillside and he looks out over the holy city of Jerusalem and he begins to lament. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, she who kills the prophets and stone those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing See, your house is abandoned to you, and I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, he who comes in the name of the Lord is the blessed one. Jesus loved Jerusalem. He loved the people of Jerusalem. Jesus was born in the suburbs of Jerusalem, Bethlehem. Jesus was Jewish. Uh, Jerusalem was the capital city of Israel. Israel was Jesus' earthly home. He loved this city. He loved Jerusalem as much as some of you love Texas. I mean, Jesus loved the people of Jerusalem. And yet, they had rejected him. They rejected him. He taught his message. He performed his miracles. He lived his life's message. And they rejected him. People didn't want to hear it. And so Jesus stands out over the city looking at it, and he laments because he knows that in just a few days, he's going to stand on the steps of Fort Antonia, and the people are going to call for the release of Barabbas over him. 
He knows that when Pontius Pilate says, well, what should I do with this man, Jesus, the one that you welcomed to the city as the promised Messiah just a few days earlier, what should I do with him? And he knows that the people are going to cry, crucify him, crucify him. In other words, kill him in the most hideous, torturous way we know. Jesus knows all this, and so he finds himself filled with sorrow and filled with lament, and he looks out over that city and he's heartbroken. Yet, I also want you to notice this today. Jesus refused to let remorse keep him from fulfilling his call. He knew what was going to happen. His heart was broken by the reality, but rather than run from it, Jesus ran to it. Now, I started this message out by asking you this question. What are the hard challenges that you're facing in life? Where are the uncharted waters that God is calling you to? I think that two of the biggest threats to being victorious, two of the biggest threats to overcoming in our lives are, number one, fear. Fear of what might happen. And you know what? Usually the fear of fear is worse than the fear itself. The fear of all the what-ifs what is usually a lot worse than when it actually happens. But the second thing that keeps us from being victorious is regret. Regret over what has happened, the past. You know what? Everyone in here has a past. That's why everyone in here needs a Savior. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all done things that we shouldn't. We all have regrets. It's important to learn from the past. If you don't learn from the past, you'll just make the same mistakes over and over again. And so you need to learn from the past. But you can't live in the past. You can't live in the past. You can't live with what used to be or what should have been. You got to live today. And in order for you to experience God's perfect will for your life, you have to learn to let go of what was and what could have been and grab a hold of what is. Look, God has wonderful things in store for you. God has wonderful things in store for our church. I think God wants to do great things in our community. But we can't be living in the past. We can't be living in the I wished world. We have to live with what is. Trusting God for what will be. On July 19, 1805, Meriwether Lewis and William Clark saw the cliffs. They got to the top of the first hill and they saw what they would later call the gates of the Rocky Mountains. They had been sent on an expedition by none other than the President of the United States. They were sent to explore the land that was recently acquired in the Louisiana Purchase. Now, what many don't realize is the goal of the expedition was to find a waterway. The thought was that the land would slope up to the mountain range and then slope back down and that there would be a waterway that they would discover that would allow the Pacific Ocean to be connected to the Mississippi River. And the president, Jefferson, 
was convinced that if they could find this waterway, that it would be the key to economic expansion because they would be able to connect commerce to the Mississippi. And so the map makers had drawn these rudimentary maps that they really didn't know exactly the detail of, but they had done the best they could. And on the map, there was a small line of mountains there in the west. And so the idea was that they would find that small line of mountains and that those mountains would be like the Appalachian. They would kind of have small humps and they would go over those little humps and they would find a river on the other side and then they would be able to canoe easily down to the Pacific Ocean because they were river explorers. That's what they were equipped to do. That's what they were trained in. Instead, they reached the top of the cliff and they discover the wild, wild west. They discover the rocky mountains and they see these jagged, daunting peaks as far as the eyes can see. And they discover that the region is full of wild, dangerous animals and that they will have to endure bitter cold and they will have to go off the path into uncharted territory and discover things that no Western man had ever seen before. So what do you think they did whenever they found themselves at this new stage in life? What do you think they did when they found themselves in uncharted territory, an inconvenient situation? Did they turn back in fear? Oh, we could never go across that. That's impossible. That's too daunting. We've got to turn back. Did they, did they get upset that this was not how it's supposed to be? But look, the map said small line. This isn't fair. You know, we're canoers. We're river explorers. This isn't how it's supposed to be. Did they cower in fear? Did they turn back because circumstances didn't meet expectations? What did they do? They pressed forward. They ditched their canoes and picked up their backpacks. And they became great explorers of the uncharted territory. Look, there is a tremendous amount of uncharted territory ahead. We live in a world that is changing at a drastic pace. The world in which our children is being, are being raised is changing. It is scary. Things are not how they used to be. Things will not be how you envision them to be. You are off the map. You are in uncharted territory, but you are not separated from the love of God. There is no reason to fear. There is no reason to turn back. There is no reason to spend all your life wishing that things were just different or wishing that you could just go back and redo that because what has been has been and what is is where God is calling you. Ditch the canoe. Pick up the backpack. We got to do that as individuals. You got to do that as families. We got to do that as a church. We have to be willing to take those steps of faith into the uncharted territory and see, God, what do you have in store for us? And we can't be afraid because there's no need to be. Perfect love casts out fear. We can't live in the past. We learn from it, but we don't live there. God has great things in store for your life. God has things that He wants to do through you and for you. 
Don't be so captivated by what could have been that you miss out on what is. You don't need anybody else's life. You don't need anybody else's family. You don't need anybody else's calling, anybody else's gift set. You need to be who the God of the universe created you to be. To live in His perfect love. To go forward in faith. Don't be scared. Trust. He'll take care of the future. Say, well, what if I face death? What if I face... Did you read the passage? Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Live. Live. Put the smile back on your face. Laugh. Love. Put down the phone and live in the moment. Don't be captivated by all the what-ifs. What can be if we would just go forward and trust Him, the one who loves you dearly? Would you be so kind as to bow your heads, please? Musicians are going to make their way forward. The Bible says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. So don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses every thought, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Father, we bow our heads today before you and how I love the people that are in this room. And I pray that in each of our lives that you might drain us of fear and fill us with faith. Help us, Lord, not to adorn ourselves with the past, but instead, Lord, may we adorn ourselves with Christ and to realize that we have security in Him that there is no circumstance that can separate us from your love. And so, Lord, may we realize that in your love, we can press forward into the future to which you have called us. And there is no need to be fearful. There is no need to wish for somebody else's life or some other circumstance. We can embrace what you've called us to. Be the people of God with a hope that outlives the hundred-year window that we have here on earth, with a hope that lasts forever and ever, with a hope that brings glory not to me, but glory to you. And I pray that you will help us also as a church to embrace the uncharted territory that is ahead, to be willing to walk with you into the days to come, knowing that none of these days escape your knowledge or your plan. It's in Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we worship. Amen.